Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. The call to confession this morning is from Deuteronomy 5, verse 20. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the ninth commandment, and it is first important to observe its similarities to the third commandment. Both deal specifically with the content of our speech. The third commandment addresses how we are to speak about God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The ninth commandment deals with how we are to speak about our neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If we are to love God and to love our neighbor, then how and what we speak about them should be true. Reverent and true in the case of God, loving and true in the case of our neighbor. Speaking falsely, however, is at the core of our struggle with sin. Sin began with a lie. Satan bore false witness against God to Eve. You shall not surely die, he said, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This was a flat-out lie. But the head of the human race bought it, and mankind has been believing it from that time forward. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. Lying is his resource. He uses it as a tool for perpetuating and aiding sin. Unfortunately, we use lying for the same purpose. We lie to cover up other sins. We lie to distort justice and minimize God's law. We give false report of another in order to elevate ourselves or wreck the reputation of our neighbor. We lie to gain advantage for ourselves. Therefore, lying is prideful. Lying is selfish. Lying is hateful. It was pointed out in last week's exhortation on the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal, that there are obvious ways and more subtle ways that we transgress the commandment. The same is true for the Ninth Commandment. Telling a complete made-up story about another person or event is clearly disobeying the commandment. But gossiping or rumor spreading, exaggerating or intentionally omitting specific details are also ways of bearing false witness. Truth is a foundation for our lives and there is one absolute truth. It is God and his word. The absence of truth or the rejection of it will only lead to chaos and relativism. Both are a playground for sin. Indeed, all sin is a rejection of, or at least a disregard for the truth. Jesus told Pilate that everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. As followers of Christ, we must live and act as those who are of the truth. This means we obey the gospel and we uphold God's word as true and infallible. But it also means we speak the truth. Children, this means that you answer truthfully when, for example, your mother asks you if you brushed your teeth. Or when your father asks you how the computer got broken. It means when you've had a fight with your sibling, you don't lie about what happened in order to make yourself appear innocent. For all of us, speaking the truth means we refrain from speaking ill of others. We don't make up excuses for our mistakes. We don't exaggerate in order to justify our sins. It means we walk away from a gossipy conversation. Our God is building a kingdom. He's making for himself a people called by his name. We are part of that people. 
He gave us the ninth, ninth commandment because lying is destructive to community. It tears up the body of Christ, but truth builds it up. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Members of the body of Christ, we have been reminded of our need to confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please kneel with me as we confess our sins to God. sermon could be summed up in don't worry. It's that simple. This is one of the most well-known passages of scripture, Matthew 6 verses 25-34. And it's something that Jesus spends a considerable amount of time expanding on. There's, there's 10 verses that are all unified in their theme here and unified in their message. So he's been preaching through, through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been taking it in chunks as he's presented it, but this is a big chunk, ten verses altogether. Our text also today builds on the foundation of Jesus' teaching about mammon, which we covered last week. So our text today starts with, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. And at this point, we need to remember what the therefore is there for. Why? <laughs> Why are we not supposed to worry? Because. Last week, we saw how Jesus contrasts imperishable treasure in heaven with perishable treasure on earth. And how serving God is in tension or direct contrast with the attractions of the world. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And his point is that the value of faith, the value of treasure in heaven, is incalculably, inestimably greater than the value of things on the earth. Because, and precisely because, of the passing nature of this world. Jesus teaches elsewhere, he says, what good is it to gain the whole world? What profit is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? In other words, to lose yourself in the process. What good is that? So Jesus commanded us, therefore, to put our treasure in heaven because faith is so much more valuable because it's so much it's because it's imperishable than the things of this world. So if we get this, if we have the right perspective, if we understand what Jesus has said here, then Jesus has some very pragmatic advice for us today. If you believe that God is greater than the world and the things in the world, then, therefore, do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not take any care about 
take no thought of. These are all various translations of the, the, the Greek here that we read in different versions of, our, of the English Bible. He says, do not worry, do not be anxious, do not care about, take no thought of the things of this life. In the lesson that Jesus is giving in the Sermon on the Mount about mammon, worry is the flip side of earthly treasure. Because if your wealth is in heaven, that is where your concern or your cares or your thoughts will be. That's what you will care about. That's where your heart will be. But if your wealth is on earth, that is where your thoughts will be. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. However, if your treasures are in heaven, which Jesus has just commanded us to do, is put our treasures in heaven, then our thoughts do not, our hearts do not need to be anxious ones. We don't need to worry because our treasures are safe where moth and rust and thieves cannot touch them, cannot threaten them, and cannot take them away. So we come to our text, Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Don't worry about your life, food, drink, or clothes, because life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. What does that mean? Since God has given us a gift of life and limb, you have a body, and you're breathing. Okay? God has given those things to you. Those are more important than the food that keeps your body going, or the clothes that cover you. Since God has given us those great goods, those great gifts, of course He will provide for us the lesser needs of food and clothing. In other words, anxiety about food and clothing betrays a distrust of God's power or His goodness. If we're going to be anxious about what, how we're going to eat or what we're going to wear, we're betraying a distrust in God. We, we think either He's not good or He's not God. But regardless, that's what we're betraying. That, that we don't think that He will provide for us. Jesus follows this with two more arguments from the lesser to the greater. So the first argument is from the birds of the air, and the second is from the lilies of the field. Verse 26, the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And birds are an excellent example for two reasons. First, what he says is right. They don't reap. They don't sow, and they don't gather stuff into barns. That's not what birds do. That's what chipmunks kind of do, or you know, those other animals do that. You know, go to the ant, you slugger. Um, there's other animals that do that, but birds don't. They 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 don't go around uh, sowing or reaping or gathering. 
But at the same time, they are provided for, and at the same time, they are not lazy, inactive, or miserable. Right? Birds are not lazy. They're just flitting around, always going after food, finding food all over the place, and eat, eating it all the time. They're diligent in seeking food. And they're cheerful. They're singing. They're singing in the trees. They're beautiful. They're lovely. They, they're not worried about how they're going to eat. They're a beautiful picture. So how much more will not a good God, a loving Father, the God that Jesus has come to proclaim to the people in the kingdom of heaven, how much more will he provide for his children? whom he created in his own image for eternal fellowship and sweet blessing. And now we come to verse 27, and the translation of this verse is debate. The, the verse is this. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And that's the King James translation, or the New King James translation. But most modern translations will translate it, can add one hour to, or one day to his life. One moment to his life. Now, it's a debated translation because the words are awkward. Uh, the Greek word for cubit is actually the word for cubit, which is a unit of measurement from the fingertip to the elbow. And the Greek word for stature was actually usually referring to maturity or age or time of life, coming of age, but sometimes could refer to height, stature. So that's why we get the cubit and stature, because cubit goes better with stature. And yet, at the same time, we see units of measurement, like a, a hand or a hand's breadth, used in reference to time. So there's a little bit of ambiguity in the verse, and it might be wanting to, Jesus might be intending for us to have that ambiguity. Because if you think about it, it's a perfect transition between the two examples he's given. So it depends on how you translate. If you say that, if, who, which of you, by worrying, can add one hour to his life, it goes very well with the birds of the air and the food that they need to live. And yet, if we say one cubit to the stature, that goes very well with glory or, or stature or clothing, the, the, the glory of the, the, the lilies of the field, which Jesus is going to get into in a second. So it doesn't matter which way you translate it, though the point is constant. Worrying is counterproductive. It doesn't matter. If you say, which of you by worrying can add a cubit to his stature, or which of you by worrying can add an hour to his day, the rhetorical question is an obvious, none of us can do either of those things by worrying. Worrying is not productive. So the first example is the birds of the air, the second example is the lilies of the field, verses 28 to 30. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So it's another argument from the lesser the greater. Grass is beautifully clothed. And of course God will provide for you. Jesus next explicitly informs us that worry is a pagan trait. It's something that unbelievers do. And he tells us what the antidote to worry is. And that the antidote to worry is to serve God instead. So the Gentiles worry. He says they seek after these things. Instead, seek God. Verses 28, sorry, verses 31 to 33. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And finally, Jesus reiterates his command one last time and tells us, don't worry about the future. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God is in control of time, and he gives us what we need. The strength we need, the food we need, the clothing we need, the provision that we need, when we need it. God orchestrates the timing of these things. And he does it this way in order to teach us faith. Now we can go to countless examples of the Old Testament which we don't have time to go into. But just think of Joseph and the timing and the intricacies of all the things that happened in his life. How after his brothers come and after he's saved Egypt and the world from this horrendous famine and his brothers come to him and he says, look, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So that's all I'm going to say about that right now because we just don't have time today. But now let's talk about worry, and let's talk about it from a Christian perspective. This is something that we deal with in our lives. It's something that we regularly wrestle with. It's a common refrain in the, in the, in the Christian world, where people talk about the things that they worry about, which makes total sense. Why? Because they're worried about them. And it will help if we start out with clear definitions. So I already mentioned that there were various translations of the Greek word that, that our text translates as wor worry, the verb to worry. The, the Greek word is merinao, okay? But it means do not worry, or to worry, and it's given with a negative, so do not worry. And it also means do not be anxious, or in older English it means take no thought of or take no care for. The technical de definition is to be anxious or to have anxiety. What is that? What Jesus is talking about is fretting. It, 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 it's, it's fretting about or being anxious, having anxiety about food and clothing in the future. He's talking about excessive or unwarranted care. Those modifiers are important. 
It's excessive care. It's unwarranted care. It's worry. Because anxiety is antithetical. It's the opposite of. And it directly contradicts obedience to, to two commands in Scripture. The commands of gratitude and joy. Anxiety is, is antithetical to those. It's disobedience. Worry betrays a lack of faith. That's what Jesus just got done saying. He says, but, but after these things the Gentiles see. You shouldn't be that way because your Father in Heaven knows what you need. And your job is instead of seeking those things, to seek Him and His righteousness, His kingdom and His righteousness. So when we worry, if we get all worked up and anxious, we're betraying a lack of faith and belief. And that lack of faith directly corresponds to a lack of productivity in our lives. A lack of doing the works that we're called to do. When you allow your mind to get all bent out of shape, to get all worked up, to be, be all frazzled, you stop seeing clearly. You stop comprehending things the way they really are. And instead of reacting to truth and reality, you become reactionary. And reactionary is unreasonable. It's not based on truth. It's not based on fact. It's because you're worried, you're doing these things to counteract the worry. But they're not, they're not effective because they're not dealing with the true reality. So you start to act based on imagined realities rather than actual ones. And when you do that, you can do tremendous harm in the process. Terrible harm happens because people are worried. Instead of doing the work that you're called to do and should do out of faithful obedience, you're busy disobeying by being worried and not doing the things that you're supposed to do and doing things that you ought not to be doing. So what kind of things do we worry about? Well, <laughs> our, well, let's start with our text. Our text tells us, Jesus gives us the most basic things that we worry about. Life. That's basic. And then he says, what, what, what could, what's our life consist of? Food, drink, clothing. And then depending on how you translate the next verse, longevity or stature. But don't worry about those things. You have no control over them. The future. We worry about the future. When Jesus gives us the most basic of the basic things as the examples about the things that we worry about, in doing that, He's inviting us to reason, to think outward, to, 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 to use this as a basis. That if the most basic things are covered, then the principles apply all the way upward to the most complicated areas of our lives. We're not supposed to worry about the most basic things. Then what are we worrying about the things that, that aren't basic, the things that aren't essentials? It's a, a, from the lesser to the greater again. Now, that's from our text. In our experience, what do we worry about? Well, you name it, we can worry about it. 
We're that good at, at worrying. <laughs> we can do it. But there are certain things that come to mind. We find there are lots of things that we're tempted to worry about, but first and foremost is our children, our kids. I mean, when you talk to people about their work, they worry about their kids. We worry about how are we going to provide for them? Uh, will they be safe? Who, who are their friends? What are their friends like? We, we worry about the sins that pop up in their lives. We worry about that, that they won't get sick, or if they get sick, that they won't get better. We worry about uh, that they need to be educated well. We worry about uh, that they don't make stupid mistakes, uh, or the same mistakes that we made. We worry about who they're going to marry. We worry about if they're going to get married. We worry about how they're going to raise their kids. We worry about what are they going to major in in college. What, then we worry about, you know, what, will they get a job? Or what kind of job are they going to get? And, and the list is endless about the things that we worry about, about our kids. And why is that? Well, we worry about them because we love them. That's why we worry about them. We love them. We care about them. We care about them. But remember, worry, as I defined it, reactionary and unreasonable or um, unwarranted, unwarranted or excessive worry, excessive care, is counterproductive. Fretting and worrying and thinking all the time about all the things that your kid is doing wrong. It's about the worst thing you can do for your relationship with your child. They'll, be, they'll, they'll get a complex thinking that there's something wrong with them because you're always worried about them. What they need is your love. They need your love, not your worry. What else do we worry about? We worry about our jobs. How are we going to put food on the table? How are we going to put a house over our family's heads? In a word, we worry about provision. This is, this is a basic one. This is one that Jesus already covered. He said, don't worry about it. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. God knows what you need. Just be faithful. We, we worry about other things. We worry about our safety. We worry about our safety. So our cars have to have all the five-star crash ratings. And we need to have we need to have our babies in hospitals because it's safer. Or else we need to have our babies at home because it's safer. Well, make up your minds. But we can't let our kids out of our sights. We, we can't use the public restroom. It's dirty. We can't go to that part of town. We can't go to that neighborhood. We can't do this. We can't do that. And on and on and on. We worry about our safety. Related to this, we also worry about potential disasters. We worry about war. We worry about famine. We worry about accidents. We worry about terrorism, and etc. Sometimes we can even worry about the efficacy of our Christian living. Am I doing enough? Now, there's, there's a sense in which that's a good question to ask. 
But it's not, there's never a sense in which it's a good question to fret about. That's called doubt. Have I prayed enough? No, you haven't. Don't worry about it. Did I read my Bible this week? At least this many times. Do I really have faith? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? We, we, can, we can worry. These are big questions. And if we don't watch our hearts and remember the promises of the gospel and that our God is good and that he loves us and he wants our blessing, we can get stuck on these. A big one that we worry about is reputations. We're about our own reputation. How does everybody perceive me? What do they think of me? I'm going to Google my name. We, we worry about our reputations. We worry about our family's reputations. We worry about our church's reputation. We worry about our company's reputation. What, what good does it do? Sometimes we worry about things that aren't even our business in the first place. And I'm talking about wisdom issues. Worrying about somebody else's business. God, God gives us leeway in this life under the sun. Go, go to Ecclesiastes. Go to Proverbs. Go to Romans 14. You know, some, some observe the day, some don't. Some eat the food, some don't. What is the law? The law is the law of charity, the law of love. And in the law of charity, each one answers to God for himself. You are not the moral police. Mind your own business. And other people's responsibilities are exactly that. They're other people's responsibilities. They're not yours. They answer to God. So Jesus commands us very clearly, don't worry. And then he gives us the antidote. Seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this kind of begs the question, well, if that's the antidote, to seek God, the kingdom of heaven, and his kingdom, then is worrying a seeking after? Is that what worrying is? Can we define worrying that way? And the answer is yes. It is. It's seeking after mammon. It's seeking after other things. The, it, Jesus is after all these things that Gentiles, what? They seek. They look for. They're pursuing them. And that makes this a question of faith, a question of priorities. Which is first? God or stuff? Anything other than God. Which is first, God or mammon? Because if it's mammon, if it's anything other than God, you're just like the Gentiles, and the end result is worry. But if it's God, worry is barred. Our first priority must be God's kingdom and his righteousness. And that means, well, those two statements, God's kingdom and his righteousness, are the same thing. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans 14, he says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. He's defined the kingdom of God as righteousness. 
So seeking the kingdom of God is seeking His righteousness. So how do we do that? How do we achieve the righteousness of the kingdom of God? And, the, and how do we seek it? How do we pursue it? And the answer is very simple and straightforward. It's faith. Paul goes into a lengthy dialogue in Romans 4, but the essence is right here in verse, verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He had faith. God said, that's righteousness. And again in verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So how do you seek God and His kingdom? Well, you believe in Him. You believe in Him. You trust in Him. You put your faith in Him. Believing in the promises of God and acting in accordance with that belief is not works. It is not fretting. It is humble reliance upon God. It is prayer. It is patience. So don't worry. Don't worry about things not in your sphere. Don't worry about things you have no control over, things you can't change. Trust God because He is in control. He is good and His plan is ultimately for good. And we can see this at the cross. The perfect examples at the cross. There He took His own son's murder and turned it into the hope of all creation. If we have a God who can do that, have the, the murder of the, the only innocent and perfect man who ever lived, and make that our only hope, praise God. And now we come to some much-needed clarifications. The first one. There are some serious ditches on the other side of the road. Bad, bad juju. Don't go there. Serious distance. And they can, they can falsely appear as lack of worry. One is laziness. Laziness is not a lack of worry. It's laziness. Laziness says, well, I don't feel like doing it, so I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to close my eyes to the world. Apathy is another ditch. Just not caring. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Like, what are the two greatest commandments? Love. Love God and love your neighbor. That is not apathy. And fatalism is another ditch. Where you just think of, well, it's the Stoic philosophy. It's where, well, life is what it is. You just got to have a stiff upper lip and march on through. That's not a lack of worry. That's foolishness. Refusing to worry, though, is not opposed to good stewardship. And that's the second clarification. So the first one is don't go in the ditches on the other side of the road. You know, avoid laziness, apathy, and fatalism. The next clarification is refusing to worry is not opposed to good stewardship. Okay, we use words like worry or care or concern all the time. And we should. They're good words. 
Uh, so, for instance, if you're going to do a building addition, or if you're going to build a house, or what Jesus says, if you're going to build a tower, you count the cost before you do it, lest you look like a fool when you get it half built and have to stop because you ran out of money. So being concerned about whether you have the resources to move forward on a project is wisdom, not worry. You don't fret about it. You don't sleep over it and trust God to provide what you need when you need it. But it's wise to think ahead. That's good stewardship. Counting your troops before you go into battle is a good idea. Jesus gives us that example also. He says, you know, if you have a king and he's going to go to battle, and he says, I have a thousand men and he's got 20,000. Okay, let's um, figure out how we're going to, you know, not go to the battle. That's wisdom. It's not worry. It's good stewardship. The Proverbs affirmatively command us to be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. That's diligence. It's faithfulness. It's not worry. Now, faithfulness and diligence, it's, it's, it, let's take a second and think about this. Faithfulness in contrast to faith. Right? Faith is not of works, lest any man should boast. But faithfulness looks like works. Faith is not of works, lest any man should boast. But faith without works is dead. The faith is not a product of your works. You didn't earn the faith that you have. But the faith that you have is productive. It's not Worry. Being faithful is not worry. It's being diligent. It's working hard and trusting God for the increase. Not demanding it. He doesn't owe it to you. But in all, we, we do have legitimate concerns. We have legitimate cares. You know, responsibilities that God has placed on our shoulders. Most of the things that I listed under the things that we worry about section of this message are legitimate concerns. Kids, education, provision, safety. It's legitimate to con be concerned about those things. But waiting on the Lord in every one of these areas is vitally important. Wisdom dictates that we exercise diligence, planning, and care. But those are exercises of faith as opposed to running around like chickens with their heads cut off. That's what worry is. That's what fret is. It's messy and ugly. In the kingdom of God, we, we have responsibilities and duties and things we must do with care. But as we take these things, they're gifts that God gives to us. Our families, our children. As we work in these areas, we do all that we do in service to God. As stewards of His gifts, they're not ours to worry about. They're His to take care of for Him, on His behalf. Life, food, clothing, children, they are all His to do with as He pleases. And our responsibility to be faithful with. Not to worry about. 
The goal and purpose of, of it all is this. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I, and I prefer the older translation. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. We live in a world that has days with evil in them. With days with trouble in them. And troubles cause us to have concern. What are we supposed to do when confronted with today and its evil? What are we supposed to do with that? The answer is this. Quiet, humble faith. Deep trust in our God. Patient hope in His gospel. Contentment with joy and gratitude to God. Immediately. Right now. Today. That's what he wants from you. Focus on the present. Because it's God's present to you. There's a famous quote by General Stonewall Jackson. He was a fearless, or I like the intrepid and godly man of stalwart faith. And during the Civil War, he said this to one of his captains. He said, Captain, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that. But to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. Captain, that is the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. This is true. This is true. God is in control. God saves. Our job is to believe it. And he often does it at the last minute. He often does it when we're at the end of our rope. But he does do it. Because he loves us, he's purchased us, and we are more valuable to him than the birds and the lilies. So with the Apostle Paul, we can and should be persuaded that he is able to keep what we've committed to him until that day. Namely, our treasure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. given us a kingdom, and he has given us his righteousness. He has freely given us Jesus Christ, that whosoever should believe on him should not perish, but have eternal life. So believe, accept the grace of God, and rejoice. Eat this covenant meal with gratitude. Celebrate the life and the communion of the body of Christ. Embrace him and serve him with faithfulness. Fearlessly go out and proclaim and bear witness to what he has done for you. And all to the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.